And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. Of course, it is Tuesday. And of course, what does that mean? Well, that means it's pre-Fed meeting day, right? So today is the first day of the two uh, of the two-day meeting of the Federal Reserve. Of course, tomorrow, all eyes uh, on whether or not the Fed is going to hike rates by 25 basis points, which they will. And you know, it's an interesting point because the market right now is predicting a much lower rate of Fed funds than what the Fed is actually doing. So. Uh, you know, it's very interesting if you go back to 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, while we were cutting rates to zero and the Fed was doing quantitative easing, the mantra by the bulls, of course, was don't fight the Fed, right? Be long stocks because the Fed's cutting rates to zero and there's no, you know, you can't make any yield, right, on your assets in cash. So it's got to go in the markets. And so the whole mantra, don't fight the Fed, was the case. Well, now, the Fed is hiking rates and doing quantitative tightening, which is the one thing that they don't that nobody talks about, right? They are reducing liquidity to the markets. And yet the, the market is now fighting them tooth and nail, right? Asset prices are going up and interest rates are going up, tightening monetary policy, and, and they're doing QT, extracting liquidity. So the whole argument about don't fight the Fed has been thrown out the window in hopes that the Fed is going to start cutting rates sooner than later. And this is the interesting issue, right? So we talked about the fear of missing out during the bull market rally in 2022, uh, 2020, 2021, right? So markets running up every day. We have less than a 5% correction for almost two years. And it was all about the fear of missing out. Every little dip was bought because investors were afraid that they were going to miss out on the run up in the markets. Now what investors are afraid of, it's still that FOMO which is that, you know, they're afraid they're going to miss the bottom, right? And, and you saw this really over the course of, of going back to October, these October lows in the markets. Ever since then, the market's been rallying, and it's been this, been this building fear that the Fed is going to start cutting rates and going back to doing quantitative easing, which they're not, right? There's been no implication of that whatsoever. And yet investors have this fear of missing out. Uh, on the rally, right? They want to be the they want to be the one to tell all their friends. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought the bottom and whatever it was, right? Bitcoin has had a huge rally over the course of the last few weeks. Remember, we were talking about Bitcoin being around fifteen, sixteen thousand at the end of last year. Uh, Bitcoin, yeah, it's hard to see on this chart because Bitcoin took such a big fall and uh, going from over sixty thousand uh, back in October, November of twenty twenty one down to fifteen thousand. So you can't really see this as much uh, on a longer term scale. But if we zoom in here, um, we actually can see a very sharp rally in Bitcoin here, uh, up to 22,000. So it's already been a very sharp rally in Bitcoin. That's, that's, the, that's the odds on 
risk asset right there. That is the risk asset that, you know, you, you can look at the markets and say, I'm going to put money into something that is totally about momentum and beta and, and risk. And that is the risk on bet right now in Bitcoin. So, but we're seeing that across all things, right? We're seeing that in the markets. Uh, we saw it a lot in emerging markets as well. Very sharp rally in emerging markets here, uh, really over the last couple of months. And, and this is just another sign of that kind of risk on rally in the markets. But again, it's this fear of missing out. Going back to October, that was the low. And investors since then have been chasing risk assets to a large degree in this fear that they're going to miss out on the Fed pivoting. But the Fed has made, again, has made no indication, actually just quite the opposite. They've been very clear that they are not going to cut rates and they are not going to relinquish their battle of inflation here um, in, in the near term. And they're going to keep that in the process because their biggest fear, of course, is that inflation has started to come down. But what they're afraid of is that much like in the late 70s, inflation peaked, it came down, and then it started to reaccelerate again. And what the Fed is afraid of is that if they stop hiking rates too soon, and if they start cutting rates too soon, that that additional injection of liquidity to the markets will reignite inflation, right? And we're already starting to see this because uh, in some cases, right, consumer confidence. Now, we'll, to, later today, um, we will have the latest reading on consumer confidence, but that's actually started to improve, right? Despite all the headlines that there's a recession coming and that there's layoffs occurring in, in many sectors and, you know, the outlook for the economy is terrible and housing is going down, you know, all these bad headlines, consumer sentiment actually improving on their economic outlook, thinking things are going to be better. And part of that ties directly back here to what's happening with the market. As markets rally, that improves consumer sentiment, right? They see their 401k plan going up. Things must be getting better because they're feeling a little bit more wealthy now. The, the, it seems like the worst is behind us. So their, their sentiment is improving. Unfortunately, that's not what the Fed wants, right? Because if, the Fed, if consumers start to feel better about their present situation, and they feel better about their future situation, right? Job security, et cetera. Then they're gonna go out and start spending money. Well, if that demand comes back into the economy, then prices start to rise, right? And that's where you get the reacceleration of inflation. Um, wage is also a problem for the Federal Reserve. Of course, you know, the wage uh, issue feeds right into inflation, right? Higher wages are at, at, at your job. That's gotta get passed on to consumers. So higher wages also are an impact into the inflation equation. And the, the number of people now in, in recent polls, et cetera, but asking for a raise is now back to the highest level that we've seen here in the last couple of years. So while there was a, a dip off temporarily of people asking for a raise, they're now back to asking for a raise. And this is despite the fact that inflation's coming down, but workers want more money, right? That's fine. Again, nothing wrong with wanting more money. Everybody wants to make more money, right? But that's got to get picked up somewhere. Somewhere, somebody's got to pay that tab for higher wages. But that's the, wage, that's the wage price spiral that the Federal Reserve is afraid of that would reignite an inflationary bout in the economy. So again, tomorrow, I would expect to see a much more hawkish Fed than probably a lot of people expect right now, a repeat of what we saw back in both August and in December with the Federal Reserve uh, saying they're not done 
uh, hiking rates. They're going to hike rates to a level that will combat inflation. They're going to keep those rates there for an extended period of time until they are sure that the inflation monster has been beaten. That would be the statement for tomorrow. Um, that is kind of that lead up into where markets were yesterday. We rallied right to 4,100 yesterday, which was our first initial target for the markets. And again, uh, MACD signals still in place, buy signals still in place. <clears throat> but we actually, early yesterday morning, we wound up taking some money off the table. Um, markets opened a little bit lower, rallied back. We took about 7, 8% off the table yesterday. Uh, because we're right back to that initial resistance level and we're two days ahead of the meeting. So market sold off a bit yesterday. Market's looking to open a little bit weaker this morning. We've got a bevy of earnings this week as well. Uh, Facebook out. We're going to have, uh, sorry, Meta. Let me, <laughs> that's going to be, we got to get the right name out there. Gotcha. Meta is reporting. <laughs> and of course, they're going to be talking. That's really what all eyes are on right now. That's going to tell us a lot about the ad spending. How strong is the uh, consumers doing? What's ad spending been? Um, AMD out today as well. NVR on the home building side. You know what's happening in the home builder space. Tons of earnings out. Um, but again, look for a pullback here to about 39.40ish. That's going to be about that initial retest of that 200-day moving average. But again, we'll see what happens today. Futures are down this morning. Um, and we'll get as we're starting to get earnings out now. But again, this is all leading up to the Fed meeting tomorrow. So expect a weaker market today uh, and probably even tomorrow until we actually get that Fed announcement. So, all right, quick break. We'll come back. Be sure you're by the website and subscribe to our new Before the Bell channel um, on our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't go away. More to talk about right here on The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Is your partner cheating on you? Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real investment show so welcome back to the show this morning of course uh, as I said it's uh, the day before uh, the Fed meeting day and, and that's where kind of all eyes are focused right now and and I should say ears and everything else because it's going to be depending on what um, the Fed actually says tomorrow that pretty much drives uh, what happens in terms of of the market and you know as we continue to you know look at this you know one of the the big challenges of course for the Federal Reserve is trying to navigate this policy between hiking interest rates to slow the economy and inflation and not creating some type of financial crisis event in the markets. And this is, this is really kind of the, the key caveat that we keep, you know, discussing, right? It's like, you know, where's that breaking point that the Fed goes too far and, and hikes rates too much, 
right? That's the, that's the key question. And we don't know exactly where that is because, see, this is the risk that the Fed runs is that when the Fed is hiking rates, there is this lag effect between each rate hike and how it impacts the economy. And that, as we've said before, lasts about 9 to 12 months. So as we talk about, you know, the Federal Reserve and hiking rates, it, it all seems fairly innocuous. Like, oh, the, there's you know a lot of commentary, right, that uh, markets do well right after the Fed starts hiking rates. Well, that's because that rate hike hasn't affected the market, right? It's just the market's got momentum to it. So if you think about a car rolling down the hill, you know, you put a car as you're at the top of the hill, put your car in neutral, you're rolling down the hill, right? So you just tap the brake. And it doesn't really seem like that's done anything to slow the pace of, of the car rolling downhill because the, the car's got momentum. So it's just you tap the brake lightly and the car just keeps right on going. So you tap the brake again. You tap the brake again and again and again. And finally, you just start kind of pushing on, on the brake. And as, as you do that, the car slows down. That momentum gets lost. And eventually... You know, you can stop the car even though that you're heading down a hill, right? So technically, the car should be moving. It's not because there's a brake. That's a very simplistic explanation. But, you know, the point is, is that's how rate hikes work, right? It's these small taps on the brake that are slowing the economic growth of the economy by making things more expensive for consumers, right? Because we're a 70%, um, you know, consumption-driven economy. So it's what you do. It's what I do. And again, it's very important to remember is that, yes, we are a consumption-based economy, but you cannot consume unless you produce, right? So you've got to go do something to earn money in order to go consume, unless, of course, we're re recycling tax dollars by, you know, giving people money, right, to spend, right, through benefits, subsidies, whatever, um, you know, and, and this, and, but there's a negative effect of recycling a tax dollar, right? Because you're just basically taking money from somebody else. So that, that slows economic growth over time. But in an economy that's 70% driven by consumption, you know, it's important that we realize that takes time, right? So gas gets a little more expensive at the pump. My interest rates go up on my mortgage, whatever it is. And the initial hikes don't really impact me that much. They're small incremental changes. But as those begin to layer up, things become too expensive and, and consumption slows down. And that's why, you know, hiking rates and tightening monetary policy, that's why it leads to slower economic growth. The, the, the trick is, of course, is navigating that lag effect between just slowing the economy down and creating a recession. And this is the big question right now, right? The big question is, is can the, navigate, uh, can the Fed navigate the economy, the slowdown, without pushing the economy into a recession? That's the 64, or I should say, uh, that's technically the $20 trillion question, size of the economy. And the answer is we don't know. Because, see, the problem is, is that as the car's rolling down the hill, you're tapping the brakes. You just don't know. You know, the goal is just to slow the car down enough so you can safely get to the bottom of the hill, you know, without crashing. Well, the problem is you don't know at what point did you stop the car halfway down the hill because you put too much brake on the on, on the car, right? 
and that's where we are. We don't know where we are. We're tapping the brake. We're you know we're actually got our foot firmly on the brake right now, um, <laughs> and we continue to push a little bit harder, right? And, and but the problem is is that because of that momentum in the economy that we had, the economy's got to slow down. And this is always the 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 trick with the economic data. You know, for instance, like the ISM manufacturing index or the ISM services index. You'll always you'll hear often that. The ISM Services Index printed 52.5 today, or whatever the number is, showing that the economy was still in expansion mode because it wasn't below 50. See, below 50, if that index is below 50, technically, at that point, the economy is in contraction. But let me offer you this. It's not the number that's important. It's the trend of the number that's important that we pay attention to. If... The services index was 60, and then it went to 59, then it went to 58, 56, 55, 52, 50, 49. When it got to 49, is that the moment that the economy went into contraction, or was it contracting ever since it stopped going up at 60? Right? So that's what we have to pay attention to in terms of the economic data. It's not the number, right? It's the trend. Is the trend of the data becoming stronger or weaker? That's what we really need to be focusing on as investors, et cetera. And, you know, that, you know, there's plenty of evidence right now that the economy is slowing down. Lots of indicators suggest the thing. Leading economic index, uh, we've talked about that recently, continues. It's had 10 straight months in negative territory. Never have you had that length of period with a negative reading that you didn't have a recession in the economy. Could this be the first time? Absolutely. Lots of bets that this time is going to be different. And it, and it always can be. You know, this time is not like last time. Uh, this is why I hate analogies. You know, this market's like this market because of whatever. You know, this isn't the dot-com crash. This isn't the 2008 financial crisis. It's not 1974. This time's different, right? The, the environment that we live in, the impacts on the economy, the things that are happening are all different than we've all happened before. But it doesn't mean the outcome won't eventually be the same. This time is not like last time, but the outcomes can be very similar. Because of conditions. But this is the big risk that you know the Fed is dealing with. They're dealing with this issue of trying to figure out how far they, they need to tighten monetary policy. Now again, tightening monetary policy is not just not just hiking interest rates, it's also reducing their balance sheet taking liquidity out of the markets. It's also verbal guidance, what they call forward guidance. Their forward guidance is also talking about slower rates of economic growth, guiding markets down, trying to you know, prepare market participants and economic participants for weaker growth ahead. Take a look at the trends of their data, all suggesting the same thing, right? Long-run economic growth projections right now below 2%. Now, inflation will also run below 2% as well. That's not a great environment, right? That's what, they, that's what the Fed is angling for. Why? Because you cannot have a strong economic growth environment with low inflation. 
Those two don't go together. And you've got an economy that's driven primarily by debt and debt acquisition, which a big chunk of the growth of the market over the course of the last 10 years has been a function, and not just the market, but also the economy, has been a function of zero rates. I can borrow cheap and I can invest. I can borrow cheap and I can buy. And that's what's been supporting economic growth. What do you do with substantially higher borrowing costs? Those impact the markets. That impacts the economy. The economy is, is dependent upon low rates. And the Fed is telling you we're getting back to low rates. And the Fed is telling you we're going to get back to a low growth environment. That's not great for economic prosperity, by the way. But it's what makes the economy operate. That's why I'm writing this article called Japanification, because we're following the same path that Japan did. But these are the things to consider, right? So as we start to think about the Fed tomorrow, and we'll come back and, and talk some more about this after the break, because this also has an impact on the dollar. And we'll talk about you know where the dollar is headed to next, because that's going to have an impact on commodities, emerging markets, those type of things. But all this activity and where we go to from here in terms of the Fed is the thing that is driving markets momentarily. Right now, the markets are anticipating that the Fed is going to give up their fight. The question is, is this going to be the first time that the Fed defies the markets? Usually, the Fed is very attentive to paying attention to what the markets are saying. And, and drives policy accordingly because that because the market is what's normally what they want is a higher market, right? Because they want that consumer confidence. They want to keep the economy going, those type of things, right? So they want higher markets. So normally the Fed is very attentive to what the markets are saying. This time, because of the Fed's fear of inflation and a resurgence of inflation, they are not listening to the markets. And the question is, is who's going to win this fight, the Fed or the markets? Come back from the break. We'll talk a little, about, a little bit about the dollar. Um, dollars had a fairly decent correction after a very strong rally. We'll talk a little bit about the history of the dollar, where we got here, uh, and what happens next. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Is your partner cheating on you? Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th, with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Yeah, 
And welcome back to the show this morning. So a little bit about the dollar. Um, been getting a lot of comments here lately about the collapse of the dollar. The dollar is going to go away and so forth and so on. Uh, it's not. But um, dollars had a good decline this year. Now, we have to go back a little bit to 2021. Actually, 2020. And I have a chart here. Um of the dollar. So if you're watching our live stream on YouTube, which you should be and subscribing to our channel, uh, we would appreciate you clicking that little red bell, that little bell icon subscribing. We appreciate you. Um, but back in 2020, the dollar had a very strong rally in 2018, 2019. And of course, this was in the midst of the Trump administration and the combat of China and the trade war. And of course, this was sucking a lot of dollars into the U.S. you know, in, into the U.S. dollar because of this trade war, people wanted to you know, and then the stronger dollar was attracting more reserve currencies into the U.S. dollar uh, because of its strength, and and we'd gotten a bit ahead of ourselves, but uh, of course, not surprisingly, as we got into the you know early 2020 and the pandemic, etc., you know, the weakness of the economy was going to lead to a fall off in the dollar, which it did. And so I got into a, a debate with um, several people over at MarketWatch, well, who shall remain nameless, um, at the very end of 2021, I'm uh, sorry, at the very end of 2020 and early 2021, that the dollar was set to rally um, for a lot of reasons. One was because of all the stimulus money that we were injecting into the economy was going to create economic growth, and that was going to attract foreign investment into the U.S. markets, which is exactly what happened. And because of that $5 trillion in liquidity, stronger economic environments, strong market environments, etc., not surprisingly, we had a superior dollar rally that led, you know, all the way through uh, into about the, about the mid of, of 2022. And this is where we began to, to see the dollar peak at that point. Um, and have had this recent decline. And now, because we're having this pullback in the dollar, now, of course, this is where all the dollar bears come out and they're like, now the dollar's going to end. We're all going to zero and, you know, we're going to lose reserve currency status. And don't buy into that. Okay. Um, reason is, as we talked about before, is that the dollar is the U.S. or the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency of the world. You know, will that change at some point down the road? Sure. Right. But the question you got to ask yourself is, is what other currency has these factors to them? Large enough and liquid enough to handle trillions of dollars of transactions globally year-round without causing major swings, right? You can't, you can't have the dollar, right? You, you can't be a manufacturer unless, say, we're going to pick some other currency, Right. And that currency, when you start doing a lot of transactions, that's demand on the currency. So, again, if it's the reserve currency, all of a sudden oil and gold and everything else is traded in that currency. So you have a lot of demand for the currency to buy certain products. And the currency is jumping around 20 and 30% a day. Well, that's not going to work because as a producer or as a consumer, I can't be trying to sell a product. Again, you know, this, was, this is the problem with Bitcoin, right? So as a good example, and it's a real-life example of this. So if we go back and, and look at Bitcoin, right? So Bitcoin was trading, you know, um, last year at $66,000, right? 
and we had this this huge decline in Bitcoin. And now it's rallied from 15,000 to 24,000. So the problem is, is if I'm trying to sell a product to Brent, so let's say Brent hires me to build a car, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to build this car for Brent. It's custom build. It's a, it's a Rolls Royce or, you know, it's a Bugatti, whatever it is, but it's hand built. And it's going to take eight months for me to build this car by hand for Brent because Brent's, you know, he's rolling in it so he can afford this stuff. So, he calls me up and says, Lance, I want you to build me this $2 million Bugatti, whatever it is. I'm like, great, I'll deliver it in six months or nine months, whatever it is. And so Brent pays. We settle on a price. I say, okay, great, it's $2 million. I'll build this car for you. Brent and I settle on a price. Well, six months from now, what the agreed-to price was at that point, because he's going to buy a Bitcoin as an example, Bitcoin was at 66000 We agree to $2 million worth of Bitcoin priced at $66,000. Now it's fifteen. All right? I'm in bad shape. So the currencies, the, the stability of the currency over time is very important. So you can't be having these massive swings where currency is up or down 5 or 10 or 15% in a day because you can't transact business. The second thing you've got to have is outside of liquidity and depth to handle these transactions on a global basis is you've got to have a rule of law. You've got to be able to go to the court system. So Brent and I come to this agreement on this Bugatti I'm going to build him, and then I renege on my contract to deliver, or he reneges on his contract to buy. I have to have a court that I can go to to combat that Contract negotiation. We've got to be able to work that out in a court. And I can't have a court or a government intervening and saying, ah, you know what? We're just going to take the car from you and give it to Brent because we like Brent because he's, you know, he's part of our country, right? Whatever, right? So you can't have a, a communistic government, et cetera, where government intervention is a potential problem where they can seize assets from you, either cash or the product. So you've got to have a rule of law. Lastly, what you've got to have, and very important to this, is not only do you have to have this liquidity and depth, and you've got to have a rule of law to ensure the transactions occur. But you've also got to have the ability to maintain the currency over time. And this is called the full faith and credit. So the dollar, yes, it's fiat. Every currency in the world is a fiat currency. There is no commodity-backed currency. Bitcoin is not backed by anything. What we rely on in terms of the dollar is, or any other currency, right? It's a, If I'm the Chinese yuan, right, or the... French franc, or if I'm the, you know, Brit British pound, it is the full faith and credit of the government that stands behind that dollar that makes it valuable for transaction basis. What people know is, is that if I have a dollar bill, it's good. It will be paid. So the full faith and credit 
of the government is extremely important. And again, so now you start looking around the world. What other governments do you trust that have the depth and liquidity of a currency to handle global transactions, that have a rule of law that allows you to combat discrepancies of contractual law, and has the full faith and credit stability that you would rely on to make sure that payment is made and that that currency is redeemable anywhere in the world. Name another country. This is why the dollar's not going anywhere anytime soon. Not saying it won't eventually, just not today. Probably not in our lifetimes. But importantly, the dollar recently has had a very big correction, and, and that correction coincides, of course, with the rally in gold, the rally in oil, because those are all traded in dollars. So if the value of the dollar falls, then we're going to see, and I'll get a little bit better zoom here on this chart, this decline in the dollar has been fairly broad. That's led to this rising gold, rising commodity prices, oil prices, et cetera, because they're all traded in dollars, right? So as the dollar gets weaker, that increases demand from foreign buyers. As uh, foreign buyers demand more product, it goes up in price. There you go. I mean, it's, it's supply and demand economics 101. The dollar is now oversold enough that you should expect a fairly strong countertrend rally. So the point about this is, is that if you're long commodities, this is probably a decent opportunity to take some profits doesn't mean sell everything. But things are getting pretty extended in terms of the dollar, right? So the dollar decline has led to a fairly big extension. For instance, gold, as an example, is trading at a fairly steep uh, deviation from long-term moving averages. Right? It's had a very sharp rally because of this coincident decline in the dollar that's led to higher, higher gold prices. That's very overbought. You might want to think about taking some profits in that. Also, want to take a look at, as I said, you know, um, crude oil has also had a decent rally as of late. Now, it doesn't look like much on this chart because we're coming, coming down, but we've actually had a decent little rally here off the lows. That's led to a coincident rally in, in energy stocks. Time to probably take some profits there as well. So pay attention to the dollar. Most importantly, understand the dollar is not going anywhere. If you're betting that the dollar is going to go to zero, it's not. That's, that's not going to work out that way. Could the dollar go lower from here? Absolutely, but probably going to get a rally first. So look for a counter trend rally in the dollar that will reset some of these commodity trades, give you a better entry point. On that front, uh, base materials, industrials, those type of things uh, that are sensitive to the trend and direction of the dollar. It's an inverse relationship, so pay attention. All right, be right back after the break. Don't go away. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Is your partner cheating on you? 
Financial infidelity is a relationship buzzkill and a wealth destroyer. Just in time for Valentine's Day, our next Candid Coffee will address how to avoid financial infidelity. Saturday, February 11th with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Build trust, improve your money talk, and pillow talk. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How to avoid financial infidelity. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So, <clears throat> lots to talk about the housing market, you know, lately. Housing's crashing, et cetera, so forth and so on. As you know, I, I sold my house back in July, and we've been you know, kind of just hanging around looking for new houses and uh, looking for a new house um, to buy. And, and you know, it's just been one of those issues where we've been throwing out some offers here and there and seeing kind of what bites. And, you know, so far, uh, the market's actually here in Houston has held up extremely well. In fact, my wife and I put a bid out on a house um, on Monday. House had been on the market for two days. Uh, we put a bit uh, a bit on the house. Uh, another offer came in same day that that we put our offer in, and you know we increased our bid very slightly, and we were outbid for the house in three days. So, just going to show you is that housing is always very location specific. So when you're looking at national housing data, be careful. It's it's not always you know the, that that doesn't always hold true for every. House. So if you're looking for a house to buy, you have to take location into account, right? If there's a limited area, no more houses can be built there, et cetera, that's going to hold up values better. So um, one of the things is, is also the direction and trend of mortgage rates. Now, a lot of people are expecting another big house decline this year, another 20%, and that's probably the case in some areas like, say, San Diego, San Francisco, um, you know, some of the California uh, location, Florida, um, where there's been a massive, you know, increase in house prices. And those probably do have further to fall um, this year as long as mortgage rates remain higher. But if mortgage rates start to fall in earnest and that will operate with the decline in interest rates globally, economic slowdown, et cetera, then that's going to start to put a floor under housing, right? So it depends on, you know, where mortgage rates get to. But it's just interesting, um, you know, because one of the <laughs> one of the houses that my wife was very excited about had a chicken coop in the backyard, and she's like, "This is great! You know how much money we'll save raising chickens, so we can have our own eggs." The problem is, is that the cost of raising chickens. People were figuring this out. Is that they go when you went? So, so there's this great video out right now running around. This kid is trying to buy three eggs at the store. He goes, gets three eggs out of a cart and goes up to the front and says, I want to buy these eggs. And the cashier says, You have to buy the whole dozen. And he's like, I don't want the whole dozen. I just want three eggs. It's, it's just me. And he's like, Well, there's no barcode on the eggs. You've got to buy the whole dozen. It's a scam, right? You got to buy a dozen eggs. It's not a scam. I'm just teasing, but you get the point. But it's because eggs are expensive, right? Um, cost of a dozen eggs has gone up a, a lot. Smuggling, you know, now people are trying to actually smuggle eggs in from Mexico. By the way, that can be really expensive for you because the fine for smuggling uh, agriculture into the U.S. is up to $10,000. 
So that dozen eggs you're trying to smuggle in from Mexico could get real expensive real fast. But people are trying to circumvent, and people are creative, right? When there's something that's very expensive, they'll figure out a way around it. And and so people are trying to go to Mexico, smuggle <laughs> smuggle eggs back in from Mexico, you know, ostensibly to make an omelet or to sell them at a higher price. One of the two uh, could be a new business. Anyway, um, this is an article in the Wall Street Journal, which was uh, interesting because it's kind of all all ties into this. Um, grocery shoppers frustrated by the record prices of a dozen eggs are increasingly choosing to go right to the source by bringing the chickens home. The price for a carton of eggs is up 60% year over year, according to the latest consumer price index. And eggs are just one example out of hundreds of items to, that eat into Americans' budgets. Of course, this is the inflation conundrum, right, that the Fed is, is fighting. Some shoppers hope do-it-yourself approach to eggs will stretch their budgets and bring a little joy in their backyards. Problem is, is that the cost of raising chickens is getting a lot more expensive now. Why? Supply and demand. So my daughter, she has friends, and one of her friends was uh, her parents actually raised chickens for Tyson. And there's a whole business to this, where Tyson will come out as an example. Tyson and other chicken manufacturers, right? If you want to raise chicken for Tyson, they will come out and you have to supply the, 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 the land, right? But basically, they'll supply you the chickens to raise for them. And then you raise the chickens and you sell them. And then there's a pre-agreed to amount by Tyson. And they'll come buy these chickens from you and replace them with new chicks. And this is the process that goes on. And so the family had to go out of town and they asked my daughter to go over and just, you know, watch the house, you know, check the dog, check the cats, you know, <laughs> make sure everything's good, check the chickens, make sure everybody's good. So the first day she goes over there, one of the chicken dies. <laughs> and, and so she comes home and she tells me, she's like, what do I do? The, the family's gone and this chicken has died. Well, chickens die all the time for different reasons, but I didn't tell her that. I'm like, oh, my God, you killed one of their chickens? You just were supposed to go over there and feed the dog, and you killed their chickens. She goes, I don't know what happened. I just walked in to check the chickens, and the chicken died. And I'm like, honey, what are you going to do? You need to replace that chicken. She goes, where do I get a chicken? I go, you're going to have to go find another farm to get a chicken. And so she's in a panic for like three days while this family's gone. I'm just, I'm just eating this up, leaving this letless thing run, right? And so finally the family comes back. I'm like, you need to go over there and fess up to, to killing their chicken, that you're, you're a chicken murderer. And so she goes over there. She's in tears, right, to this point. She's just, she's devastated. She goes over there and she knocks on the door and the father answers. She's like, I have to tell you, I killed your chicken. He goes, she, he goes what? He goes, I killed your chicken. I went to check the chicken and the chicken died. And he goes, honey, they die all the time. <laughs> For different reasons it just happens that's why there's so many of them out there it's a it's a numbers game <laughs> she was she didn't speak to me for three weeks but i had a lot of fun with that one but there is a whole business if you want to raise chickens and eggs there is a whole business in that that you can that you can do and you will get subsidized for doing that but anyway People are trying to figure out uh, there was a great video of a lady in a grocery store she's got her three kids with her three young girls and she's in the store taking pictures of her feet and and the, her kids are like why are you taking pictures of your feet she goes i gotta pay for these eggs somehow so <laughs> 
Yeah, apparently on the internet, there's a whole thing for women's feet Ew. that people will pay. Yeah, well, <laughs> people will pay for anything. I guess. <laughs> so, however, you got to pay for eggs. Let's say you to pay for eggs. So anyway, if you're thinking about raising chickens, <laughs> be aware they die. Anyway. I guess you're not getting your daughter a chick for Easter. No, but I, I will tell you this. So she's a huge Chick-fil-A fan, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. you know. It, it <laughs> does she know where they come from? Now she does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she stopped eating Chick-fil-A after, uh, after, after this whole event with the chicken. Yeah. She actually stopped eating Chick-fil-A for like a month. <laughs> Because she didn't want to eat the dead one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now she's like, the chickens are cute. I'm like, where do you think Chick-fil-A comes from? And, and she's like, I'm never eating Chick-fil-A again. That lasted about a month, by the way. And she's back to eating Chick-fil-A. It's just. <laughs> she couldn't resist. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a new business, though. Yeah. You want to get in? I've got a new business idea. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to open up a chicken sandwich shack. Yes. Right next to Chick-fil-A. Okay. We're gonna make we're gonna make millions because we're only gonna be open on Sunday and call it side chick. <laughs> Might go. <laughs> It'll be just like Chick-fil-A, but only open on Sundays. How long did it take you to hatch that idea? Uh while I was working on the eggs. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> About as long as it takes to scramble a couple right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um Speaking of that, you know, higher costs, et cetera, the U.S. consumer is starting to kind of uh, freak out. Um, again, you know, as you take a look at stimulus payments and what was going on in terms of, you know, the, the, the financial stimulus following the pandemic, et cetera, we had this massive surge in the personal savings rate. That savings rate has now declined to even a level lower. It's about 3.4% right now is the personal savings rate as of December of last year. That is actually the lowest level we've seen even prior to the pandemic. So all of these, you know, flush savings accounts, cheap credit, everything that helped Americans kind of continue to spend money is really starting to, to get tapped out here. And of course, this is going to be one of the issues that weighs on consumers, you know, going forward, it's not just the combination or it's not just high rates and high prices, right? It's also the ability to afford it. And with all those stimulus checks now out of the system, the ability to continue to pay for those items is going to become much, much more complicated. And as the Wall Street Journal has, you know, is pointing out, now the forces uh, that helped high, keep spending high are unwinding. Inflation remains elevated. The share of monthly income Americans set aside for savings was only 3.4% in December, down from 7.5% a year earlier from a record high in April of 2020. Credit card interest rates also rising, and Federal Reserve officials uh, continue to plan to hike interest rates, again, quarter basis point tomorrow, uh, which will bring the benchmark rate between 45 and 4.75% from near zero at the beginning of last year. So, you know, one of the issues that, you know, we continue to look at now, again, how does the economy avoid a recession in this environment? Don't know. Is it possible? Absolutely. But these are the things we've got to pay attention to 
So make sure you keep tuning into the show every day. We appreciate you being here. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. We certainly appreciate that. Also, make sure you are subscribed to our Before the Bell channel. We've now stripped out three minutes on markets and money, created its own channel called Before the Bell. That's our three-minute video on the markets every morning before the bell. Make sure you subscribe there as well. Also, our daily commentary, our weekly newsletter. There's so much stuff at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Go check it out, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow for the hump day edition of The Real Investment Show.